Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. Would you look with me in Isaiah chapter 40? Isaiah chapter 40 goes this way it says this comfort comfort my people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Go up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not, says the cities of Judah. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. Here's the word of the Lord. It is the sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word of God. So, so this book of Isaiah, if you're familiar with it, is an interesting book because as Isaiah is writing, he is writing to a time of, of great disorder and distress that was happening among the people of God. As he begins the book of Isaiah in chapter 1, he talks about this um, condemnation that God is bringing. In fact, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about the condemnation of God, the judgment of God. Interspersed throughout are little times of gospel grace. We remember the Easter, uh, the uh, Christmas story that is in the early parts of Isaiah. But mostly from Isaiah, what we have is this condemnation and this judgment of Israel. Israel had rejected their king. Israel had turned to the world. Israel was looking for others to solve their problems when only God could. And it's interesting that all of a sudden at the end of chapter 39, there is this great judgment that God is pronouncing through Isaiah that the people are going to go into the Babylonian exile, which is going to occur 120 years from the time that Isaiah is writing. And as he's writing this, he's bringing this judgment upon them and he says there's going to be such desolation that's going to come and the fear that is there. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah 40 pops out of nowhere. After this bill of arrangement um, has been there, he's, arra- he's arraigning these people, this appalling indictment, he says this, he says, I am giving you comfort and tenderness and peace, and I'm giving you pardon 
where'd this come from? Well, what Isaiah is doing for us is Isaiah is laying out for us through the word of the Lord. He is laying out for us this amazing hope that God gives us, that God wants to comfort us in the midst of the storms, that, that the Bible is clear that in this world we are going to have trouble, but, but be of good cheer that God has overcome the world. He says through uh, Paul in Romans, suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, that there can be hope in the midst of the greatest struggles that we go through. And so what God wants to do for you is he wants you to know that he is there for you, that he wants to offer you grace. He wants to offer you mercy. He wants to offer you this amazing kindness. I want you to hear these voices in the first 11 verses of Isaiah. And these voices are just amazing. First, we start with the voice of God himself. And I want you to hear the voice of comforting grace of the gospel grace, that he's comforting us with gospel grace in verses one and two. And then we have a voice that is crying out in the wilderness, and he's calling us from the wilderness of our lives to repent and come to faith in him. And then there's a voice of the eternal word that what he's going to say is this, that all of the things in this world are going to fade away, but ultimately it is the word of God that endures forever. And then final verse, the uh, voice that we hear is this voice of invitation. Behold your God. And we are called to bring the good news to the world. So those are, that's how the paragraphs break down. Hear the comforting word of gospel grace, one and two. Verses three through five, hear the comforting word of those that are in the wilderness of their lives. Then in verses six through eight, we have the comforting word of the eternal word of God, the comforting voice of the eternal word of God, verses six through eight. And then finally, verses 9 through 11, we hear the word of invitation or the voice of invitation. Behold your God. So let's begin with um, the beginning here in verse 1. He says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. The first thing I want you to see in this is that it is an emphasized comfort. An emphasized comfort. Well, what I mean by that? That as the Hebrews wrote oftentimes, what they would do is if they, re- if they repeated a word, what it would mean is that there was an emphasis behind it. It's almost as if I were to call out somebody's name. I were to call out Sally, Sally. And as you call that person, you call that person's name first, but then you do it again and you're emphasizing it. You want to draw their attention to, to what you're saying. And that, in essence, that's what God is doing for us. He says, I want you to comfort, comfort. It's interesting that out of this darkness, out of this bleakness, out of this despair, there's a voice that cracks in on us. And we weren't expecting it. It wasn't deserved. And what God has done for us is he's poured this voice out, his voice. And he says, I want you to hear words of comfort today. And it's an emphasized comfort. It doesn't stop there. But then he goes and he says, it's not just emphasized. It's an exclusive comfort. Watch what he says here. He says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Perhaps as you go through the struggles, and I know when I go through my struggling times, oftentimes what I will find is that I start to question, well, does God really love me? Have I done something wrong? Is he upset with me? Maybe you go through some of those exact same times as well. And as we do that, what we often wonder, and I have heard people say that they worry that maybe God has not for them anymore. 
that God is not with them anymore. And what God is saying is that out of this darkness, I want you to know that I am emphasizing my comfort, but secondly, it's an exclusive comfort. That there is a covenantal relationship that God has provided for his people. And that he says that even when you are faithless, I will remain faithful because I won't deny myself. And so that God has provided for you and provided for us this amazing gift of comforting grace. So he begins by this great announcement of gospel proclamation. And he says this, that I'm emphasizing my comfort to you. And then he says, I'm giving you exclusive comfort. It is for my people, those who have trusted in me, those that have placed their faith in me. But then he gives you this sense of everlasting comfort. He says in verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Isn't that so interesting? That as we go through difficult times and when people have been wayward, probably some of the ways that we tend to respond to them are not tenderness. But what God has done for us, yes, there was judgment in the first part of this book, but then what he does is he provides tenderness. He says, I'm speaking tenderly to Jerusalem. He's encouraging us to speak tenderly. As, as pastors, as leaders, we're called to speak God's words out to people. And he wants us to do it in tenderness. And he says, cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Do you hear it? The war is over. I mean, it's just amazing. Now, I would want you to consider this, that the people that he is talking to have three problems. And if you see it right here, he says, first, they have warfare. Second, they have iniquity. And third, they have sins. And that's our dilemma as humanity. That first, we are at war. We are rebelling against God. That God has given us his glory as the creator, the sustainer, the rightful end of all praise. And any time that you and I go against God's word and go against his glory, we are in essence sinning. And we are, in essence, going to war against the sovereign God. And outside of the precious work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are at war with God. The Bible says that we are hostile to God in Romans. And so there's a warfare. It's the converse of peace. It's, it's a state that we are at war with him. What war does is destroys people. It just decimates people. And what, what God is saying is this, that the warfare that we had, The fracturing that we had in our relationship with him and our relationships with others is over in gospel grace. How is that possible? He says, not only is the warfare an issue with our lives, but then he says iniquity. He says that we are people of iniquity and that your iniquity is pardoned. But what is iniquity? Iniquity is actually twistedness. There is a brokenness. There is something that's off course in our lives. And, and that's us, right? We're not what we meant, what we were meant to be. We are rotten to the core. And what God has said is this, that I want you to know that your warfare is ended and that the iniquity, the twistedness of your life is made right. The things that take us in the wrong direction, towards the wrong people, towards the wrong choices, God says, I want to transform that and change you. But then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't talk only about our warfare and our iniquity, but then he talks about our sin. Sin is missing the mark. It's almost as if I were to shoot an arrow and the arrow would fall short. If the glory of God is the target and I'm aiming at the glory of God, I am falling short. Paul used that same illustration in Romans chapter 3. So I am at war with God. I am iniquitous against God. And I am under sin 
outside of the beauty of gospel grace. And so what he says is this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He gives us an everlasting comfort because the question would be that if it's really true, what we've heard in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, that we've rebelled against him, and if it's really true that I am iniquitous and at war and under sin, what is my answer? What is the solution? What is the hope? And God says, I am your hope. He provides you this emphasized comfort, comfort, comfort my people. He provides you exclusive hope for those that have trusted in him. And then he provides you this everlasting hope. Your war has ended. Now, I don't know how many wars are going on today. I don't know how many people are being killed today all around this world. But there is going to be a day and time where all the wars cease. All the wars end. But the ultimate war between humanity and God ceased 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And those that have placed their faith and trust in that Savior 2,000 years ago, the warfare between you and God have ended. You're at peace. What's an amazing thing is this amazing, everlasting comfort that God wants to pour upon you. We get so focused on the things that are happening around us and the need for comfort on an earthly or material level. And God says, I want to pour peace upon you to know that the greatest comfort is that spiritual comfort, that everlasting comfort, that eternal comfort that has been provided for you in Christ. So it's an emphasized comfort. It's an exclusive comfort. It's an everlasting comfort. But I want you to hear also that it's an extravagant comfort. What does he say here? He says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, forgiven, and that she's received from the Lord double for all her sins. I want you to hear the tender word of God for you. I want you to hear this double blessing that God has performed for us in the gospel. It is not just that God has forgiven us of our sins. It's not just that God has matched your sin total and then he's matched it. No, what scripture says is that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That God has just poured grace upon grace upon grace upon you. It's just so amazing. Extravagant grace. That what you've done against me, God says, I am going to give you double. Double. For all that you've done against me, I'm going to give you double in return. See, the voice that we need to hear, the comforting voice that we need to hear first as we go through trials, is this comforting voice of gospel grace. That God is there to comfort and to pardon you. And that happens through a person, a person that we will hear right now. How is God able to do that? How is God going to be able to resolve this issue? Well, he tells us that a king is coming. Look here in verse 3. He makes an announcement of the glorious Savior in verse 3. And here's another voice. He says, a voice cries in the wilderness. What's the voice? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, for those of you that are familiar with the New Testament, you know where that's attributed to. That's attributed to the apostle John the Baptist. That John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus to come. And he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's preparing the way. He's leading the way for the king to come. Well, that's what you would do in these times. As a king is coming into your town, what you would do is you would prepare your area for them. 
We do that even today. You know, when a leader, a foreign leader comes to our country or the president goes to another country, they, they oftentimes prepare for that leader to come. They'll clean up everything. They, they will make everything really look new because what they want to do is to welcome this person coming in. Well, the voice here, the comforting voice is to those that of, of us that are in a wilderness. That this voice is crying in the wilderness and he's crying out, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway. Clean up the roads. Prepare the way for your king to come. What an amazing word is. And so you remember back in Isaiah chapter 9, we hear of this king and Isaiah foretells. Remember in the first three, uh, 39 chapters, there's a lot of judgment, but he's foretelling this king of coming. And in verse uh, 6 and 7, chapter 9, it says this, For to us a child is born. And to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of what? Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. See, Isaiah, even in the times of condemning these people and judging these people, he is offering them grace, offering them grace. That's what God was doing through Isaiah, and that's what God is doing for us today. That as we go through difficult times, he wants you to know that a king is not just coming, but a king came. Now, I want you to understand that Isaiah is writing this approximately 700 plus years before Jesus Christ comes. And so as he's writing, he is writing of a future king that he cannot see, but by God's Holy Spirit, his eyes are open to see this. And even in Jesus's day, they were looking for that comforter to come. Sorry, you remember a man, Simeon? Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel to come. And he was waiting and longing, and, and then all of a sudden, this baby comes with, with his parents and he looks and he says, there is the consolation of Israel. They had been waiting for the comforter to come and he came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. So Isaiah is making this announcement of this glorious savior, this king that is coming in verse 3. And then how can this happen? How can this be? Well, every obstacle needs to be removed. Kind of like we're preparing the way for our king to come. We need to be preparing our hearts for this king to come into our lives. And verse four, it says, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall and hill will be made low. I'm not going to sing it for you, but if you remember the Messiah, you remember Handel's Messiah, this this line in here was right there in one of the songs. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain shall be made low. Well, Handel got that from this very section. I want you to know that every problem has been removed. Every obstacle has been broken down for God's invading of his children's heart. He will come and he will get you from the farthest area. He will provide comfort for you. And so nothing will ever get in his way on our part. What are we called to do? The the depressed, we need to be made high and lifted up. For those that are prideful, we need to be made low. It is this devastating work of repentance that God does as he, he transforms the human heart and he changes us. What God doesn't just want to simply do is to change us 
temporarily. What he wants to do is to radically transform us, and that's what he does here in this section of Scripture. What he is saying is this this great upheaval of repentance. It changes everything. And what would happen if there were a revival among people in your homes, in your families, in churches, where they see the beauty of this glorious king coming? What kind of hope could there be that could happen in our lives and through our lives if we are preparing the way for this king to come? Well, he he says that our hearts need to be prepared for this king coming into our lives. I, I wonder, is your heart prepared for this king to come into your life? That the king has come 2,000 years ago. The question is... Are you prepared to reflect his glory? See in verse 5, amazing verse here. He says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Glory. It's a it's an interesting word. I think Isaiah approximately, approximately 20 times in the first 39 chapters use this word glory, and approximately 17 times in the second part of the book. So he is really focused on glory. Glory is this reflecting of God. And so what he says is this, that the glorious God has come. Not only has the king come for us, but the glorious God has come for us. And that should give us this glorious announcement. So he begins with this gospel grace, that I'm providing comfort. God gives you this comfort. And then he says, this glorious king is coming. And then in verse 6, he gives us this hope, this voice of your eternal word. Watch here where it says this. There's a commission that happens here. There's a voice that cries out. It says, a voice says, cry. Probably the voice of God, cry. And Isaiah said, what shall I cry? He says, all grass, all flesh is like grass. And it's beauty like the flower of the field. It's interesting that as he's, as he's saying, he's got this great commission here. And it's like, what do I need to cry out to you? And this commission is that you need to cry out that humanity is transient. And humanity is unreliable. There's so many of us today that are looking to political leaders to solve our greatest problems. And we find ourselves so discouraged by our political leaders. And then we look to foreign entities. Maybe they would have the answer for us. And as we are looking for all of these outside people, it's kind of like what the people were doing in the times of Isaiah. They had this problem of issues of sin in their lives. And they looked to the earthly people to take care of it. And they couldn't do it because they will fail you. And it calls for a divine answer. And the divine answer is found in God. And what God is saying is, I want you to know with certainty, I want my people to be assured that people will fail you. And people will fade away, but my word will not. See, that is so important for you in this time. Because the voices that you may be hearing are maybe taking you away from God. But the voice of truth will tell you a different story, completely different story. And what he says in verse 7 is this, the grass withers and the flower fades, but when the breath, probably the spirit of the Lord blows on it, the sovereign spirit who gives life and takes life, when he blows on it, surely the people are grass. See, our lives are so focused on on the things of this earth, and you will find, as as Solomon wrote in, in Ecclesiastes, that it's meaningless. It's a chasing after a wind. 
That if I live my life for this world, I am going to live a meaningless life, a purposeless life, a a foolish life, a life that is going to keep me trapped in darkness. But God wants to give me and you something different. He wants to give you hope for your meaninglessness. He wants to give you purpose for your life. He wants to give you wisdom for your foolishness. He wants to give you light in the midst of the darkness that you're going through. And he says that humanity is transient. It is unreliable. It is not durable. Don't listen to their voice primarily. Listen to the voice of God and watch what he says here. He says in verse 8, The grass withers, humanity, temporary, fading fast. The flowers fade, but what? The word of God will stand forever. It will never be annulled. It will never be replaced. It will never be revoked. Jesus said that the smallest dot in the Old Testament and the smallest dot in scriptures will never be removed because it stands forever. And what God says is that in the midst of these trying times, in these difficult times, we need to hear gospel grace. And in the midst of these trying times, we need to hear of a glorious king. And in the midst of these trying times, we need to be in his word, his eternal word, his word of comfort for you. And so many people get so discouraged by the voices that are happening around them. And they hear these voices in their minds and it constantly is taking them horizontally. And they're taking them to greater pains and greater difficulties. But I want you to know that God wants to breathe comfort to you. That God's word is sufficient for every struggle that you have. It's it's eternal it lasts forever. It's authoritative. It is the king of kings speaking to us. It is life-giving that as the word goes out, some people will come to faith in him. And I have seen the word of God radically transform people's lives. Mine first to start off with. And people that I've gotten a chance to work with. That God can transform your life as you get into his word. So... So he begins with this gospel grace. He says, I want you to hear the comforting word of gospel grace. And then he goes to hearing the comforting word of the one that's in the wilderness of their lives. And then he wants you to hear the comforting voice of the eternal word of God. And then lastly, he gives us this incredible invitation. Watch it. Hear the voice of an invitation calling us to behold our God and to bring good news of our God to others This good tiding, watch this, this is so incredible. He says in verse 9, go up to a high mountain. He wants you to go up as high as you possibly can. And then he says, I want you to herald the good news. He wants us to turn up the volume. He wants us to speak. And he says, O Zion, God's elect, God's people, I want you to, as God's people, be out there to be my ambassadors. Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians. He said that we are ambassadors giving the good news of reconciliation. That God has provided us reconciliation in the personal work of Christ. And he says, I want you to go out there as my elect people. Give the good news. I don't know if I can give you good news about wars ending on an earthly level. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can give you good news that we will ever find an answer to a virus. Can't give you that. But what I can give you is the good news that the greatest problem that we have, separation between us and God, has been dealt with in Christ. And what he wants us to have is a holy boldness. See it here. He says, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald the good news. Lift it up. Fear not. 
Isn't that amazing? So much fear today. So many struggles and trials. And he says, I want you to have a clear, I want you to have a positive voice. And I want you to do this out of the great delight of what God has done for us. See, God doesn't ever want us focusing on our sin. He wants us to move from a sin to a savior. And from that savior, he wants you to be satisfied in that savior. He wants you to move from your guilt to grace, gospel grace. And then you can have gratitude in your hearts and lives. That is great hope. And the great activity of our lives is to contemplate God. What does he say? Oh, Jerusalem, behold your king. There are so many of us that behold so many other things. We hear voices of everybody else. We see the world that's around, the chaos and the confusion. And what Isaiah, primarily the Holy Spirit, is doing through Isaiah is he's calling us to ponder our God contemplate our God, meditate on our God, reflect on our God, behold your king. Oh, what a great word of comfort that can be. But he says, I don't want you just to glorify and I don't want you just to behold your God. I want you to see this God not only as this incredible conquering warrior, but I want you to see this God as a sovereign Lord. He's the conquering warrior here in verse 9, but now he is the sovereign, he is the sovereign Lord in verse 10. He says, behold, your Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. See, this warrior king is coming to you to fight for you, but then he is also the sovereign Lord. He is the one who has the might. He is the one that ultimately rules. And he is the one that provides the reward. I love this passage in First Peter. Peter talks about this living hope. And he talks about that is waiting for us is this inheritance. And that God has this inheritance for us in eternity. But then he's preparing us for that inheritance. He's protecting the inheritance in heaven. And he's protecting us to get to that inheritance. Oh, such a blessed word. So we have a warrior king who leads us. We have a sovereign Lord who protects us. And then we have this tender shepherd. See verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those to, that are with young I'm sure that reminds you of John chapter 10 where, where Jesus called himself that he was the great shepherd. That the great shepherd, or maybe it reminds you of Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not be in want. He, he makes me lie down in, in green pastures. He leads me by, by still waters. He, he stills my soul. And this, this amazing word of gospel comfort that God wants to give you, and he says to you, I want you to behold my king. So to this, today, I want you to consider this. He has provided us this comforting word of gospel grace. This comforting word of gospel grace is that he comforts you and he pardons you. He forgives you. And, and there are some here today that desperately need to bend their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they today need to trust in him. See, this makes only a difference if you trusted in him. That's all that matters. That recognizing my sin and I can't, but he can. He did on the cross of Christ and he lives for me today. I trust in him. See, 
the gospel is, is, is I think pretty simple and it's hard for us today to deal with because we are prideful people. But there was this plan before all of eternity that God had planned to save us. One. And that he had purposed, the triune God, the Father, had planned to save us. The Son was going to become the provider, and the Holy Spirit was going to become the pledge. There was a great plan. And then there was the creation event. And the creation event that God, the sovereign one, created humanity, and we were subservient to him, but then we rebelled against him. And all of that sin and all of that misery has been transmitted to every single person since then. But then, 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Trinity took on human body, and he was incarnated. He was born by the work of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And then he lived in the womb, perfect and righteous, and he lived every day of his life, perfect and righteous, for those that can't live any day of their life, perfect and righteous. And that Jesus Christ went to a cross, a bloody cross, where he substituted himself for sinful humanity. That God poured his wrath upon Christ, which he could have poured upon humanity, he poured upon Christ. And that when Jesus died, he died a real death, and then he went into a grave, his body went into a grave, and then three days later, he was resurrected. He was born again, he was brought to life again. And he, that empty tomb has provided a way of salvation. And this great achievement is this, that, that God's wrath has been atoned for. That he has redeemed us through the precious work of his son. And that he has provided justification, righteousness for those people who will trust in him. And that offer of grace goes out to all who will hear that gospel message. But it's an offer of grace. It's not something that we do. And now, this great, incredible application is this. You can be forgiven. But you don't have to just simply be forgiven. You can be free. And you don't have to just simply be forgiven and free. You can have God, your glorious king. See, that's gospel. That is hope. And today, to have that, you simply need to trust in this God. So whose voice are you listening to today? My brothers, my sisters, my friends. I pray that you'd be hearing the voice of comfort, the voice of truth. Would you pray with me? God, I praise you for your precious remedy. I praise you for being a God who, who though offended and dishonored and rejected and forsaken, you do not change your promises to us, O oh Lord. Lord, I thank you for being a God who loves your people with an everlasting love. I thank you for gospel comfort. I thank you for your glorious king. I thank you for the fact that that glorious king is our our great warrior and our sovereign Lord and this tender shepherd. And he is ours today. So, Lord, I pray For all the discomfort and all the pain and all the misery that people are having, I pray that the God of all grace would comfort them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Blessings. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.